probably begin this morning by assuring you that the story that I'm going to tell this morning I share with permission. Uh-oh. <laughs> yes, uh-oh. Um, every time I think about our text this morning, I think about the biggest argument Carrie and I ever had. Uh, if you know me, you know that I am always thinking. My brain never shuts off. And thankfully for y'all, you never hear most of those thoughts. Most of those things you never have to deal with. Carrie doesn't have that luxury. Uh, she frequently hears my, wouldn't it be great, or what if trains of thought. And one day, um, we had been studying things in seminary, and I, I was pondering different theologies on God's grace. And we're driving down the road, and I can almost tell you the exact spot in the road where I said it, because once I said it, it set off a chain of events that I will always remember. Uh, but I said, wouldn't it be great if God's grace was so expansive that we have it all wrong? She said, what? I said, well, I mean, I know what the Bible says. And I preach what the Bible says. But I would love to get there and for Jesus to look at me and say, Troy, thank you for your faithfulness and hard work. I appreciate all you did, but you had one thing wrong. My grace was for everyone so everybody gets in. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, I was shocked by the emotion and frustration in Carrie's voice when she said, No! That's not in the Bible! Thus began a 30 to 40 minute argument over whether or not that would be cool. Um, we eventually ended up in today's text when I asked, Wouldn't that be great? Or why wouldn't that be great? And she said, because that wouldn't be fair. I smiled. And I said, uh, what's fair about grace? And, you know, the minute she had said that wouldn't be fair, the look on her face went, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That, that, gave, him a, that gave him the ability to say something in the back and, Today's subject is kind of touchy at times. Um, it's the subject of salvation, specifically God's system of salvation. Uh, we live in a what I call a godly economy. Um, and a godly economy is not like the world's economy. Um, a godly economy takes the world's economy and really just kind of turns it up on its head. Uh, the godly economy says that... Um, things are different than what you expected. Things are uh, going to be the way God wants them to be. In the godly economy, salvation is by grace alone. That you can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to get more of it. It is given to you by God when you accept it, and that's it. Uh, and so this system can sometimes be a thorn of belief. Uh, 
Because it's hard for us who are living in this economy and living with people who on each side of us uh, may not be living how we want them to live. Because Jesus' teaching on the kingdom is a little bit different when we find it over there in our text this morning. And we're going to pick up there. Jesus has been talking a whole bunch of stuff. He has been saying lots of things and, and doing lots of things. And um, when he begins to talk about salvation in this way, it is something that really just kind of uh, is mind-blowing for those who are around. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the workers on one denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine in the morning, he saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. To those men, he said, you also go to my vineyard and I'll give you whatever is right. So off they went. About noon and at three, he went out again and did the same thing. Then about five, he went out and found others standing around and said to them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they said to him. You also go to my vineyard, he told them. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard told his foreman, call the workers and give them their pay, starting with the last and ending with the first. When those who were hired about five came, they each received one denarius. So, when the first ones came, they assumed they would get more. But they also received a denarius each. When they received it, they began to complain to the landowner, these last men put in one hour. And you made them equal to us who bore the burden of the day and the burning heat. He replied to them, to one of them, Friends, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me on a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I want to give this last man the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my business? Are you jealous because I'm generous? So the last will be first and the first last. That's right. <coughs> Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. Father, we thank you for your salvation. We thank you for how you bring it. Father, we pray this morning that you would be with us as we examine this parable, as we examine the truth that it contains. Father, we ask right now that you would just use me as a vessel and the words that I speak be yours and yours alone. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, and for his sake. And all God's people said. This was the text we made it to in our argument because somewhere along the lines, and maybe it's because we're born in this century or born in this country, we tend to want things to be fair. Uh, and, and, it, and it goes with everything, right? I mean, if I, in our household even, if one kid gets to go to a sleepover, we're going to do something special for the other kids to make sure those kids don't feel left out. The truth is, life isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. And as we come to this text, we begin to see some things that, that he was trying to say to those people around him in that day that are applicable to us today. And the first is that God grants salvation to whomever he chooses. God gives salvation to whoever he wants to give salvation to. Sometimes that's hard for us. Sometimes we have a tendency to fall back into the world's criteria 
for who should get salvation. Well, they don't deserve it. They aren't the right kind of person. I'll believe it when I see it. And we begin to look at things in that way. And we begin to, to, to have these levels of people. And, and I think we unknowingly do that in our own lives because we, we see certain people as we need to get out and get them. But others, there are whole populations that are underserved when it comes to the witnessing of the church because they are not chosen. They're not in. They are those last workers. And, and the truth is we have to learn to see people as Jesus sees people. That last group said nobody wanted us. We've been here all day long and nobody wanted us. And so that's why we haven't been anywhere. How many groups are in our world or in our community who feel like nobody wants them? Who feel like that maybe they're not, they're not special enough? They're not worth enough? That we wouldn't really go out of our way to reach them in that way? How many groups are like that? How many groups feel that way? Because God, He looks at people and He doesn't see people like we see people. We look at people and we see, especially in a small town, we see heritage because we know who they are. We see past actions because, let's be honest, it is so hard for us sometimes to get past the past actions that we know that the person did. We see all of these things, but when Jesus sees people, when the Father sees people, He sees someone that He created in His image. And that image has been marred and all He wants is reconciliation with Him. It doesn't matter who they are. Doesn't matter where they've been, doesn't matter what they've done, he wants salvation for those people. I had a conversation with a very frustrated man this week who spoke about he's trying to put together with the missions organization he's working with a Bible program to provide Bibles in a country that is very heavily Muslim. And he rented some people who would not give to a ministry that would minister to Muslims because they didn't think Muslims needed the gospel. But yet, the Bible is clear to us that he would, that none should perish. It's clear to us that he gave his life for the whole world. And so, we have to see people as God sees people. Broken children that he wants nothing more than to restore a relationship with. And so, God grants salvation to whoever he chooses. But also, God calls each individual in the time that He calls them. That's the hardest thing for us to understand, I think, sometimes. Because how many of us have that person who we have prayed for, and we have prayed for, and we have prayed for, and we've told them about Jesus, and we've brought them to church, and we've taken them to revivals, and we've given them Christian music, and we've done everything we can do, and they still, for some reason, will not make a decision to follow Jesus. Or, tell you, one of the things that I've had to learn to get over in my life is it happens with it happens with church members, and it happens with my wife. So, all in good company here. Um, there are times that I will preach something or I will say something over and over and over again. And y'all just won't get it. And then somebody else will come in and say the exact same thing, 
And y'all act like it's the most miraculous thing you've ever heard. And that it's just, man, that was it. You hit the nail on the head. I've never heard that before. And, that's, and it happens with Carrie a lot at my house. And I'm like, I've been saying that for 20 years. She's like, well, I didn't hear it until now. Well, thanks. You know, I mean, that, but because she wasn't ready. She wasn't at that point yet to hear it. And that's what God does with each individual. He calls individuals in the time that he calls those individuals. And so it may not be the time that you want. You may be banging your head against the wall trying to get somebody to come to know Jesus, but we cannot force someone to follow God if it's not God's timing. We can drag people to every evangelistic opportunity we have, but it doesn't mean that they'll be saved there. They may be in a different spot in their salvation spectrum, is what I call it. You may have a different job in their salvation spectrum. Maybe, maybe you're the person who, for me, their names were the Hardys, Mr. and Mrs. Hardy. They drove the bus for First Baptist Church of Fort Worth when I was a little kid. And they planted a seed in my life. They never, they never presented the gospel to me, but they lived it out in front of me. And they planted a seed there. I don't, I don't know if they're still with us or not. I would love to see them and let them know that that seed eventually took root. That seed eventually blossomed. Because sometimes that's what it is. It's, it's a different timing for someone else. You know, you can have two people who go to the same event and one will feel the calling of the Holy Spirit to walk down and give their life and the other will sit there and think, I don't understand what's going on. Because God calls individuals in the time that He calls them. So that means we have to be both patient and urgent. <laughs> that's hard, right? Try to teach our kids that, right? Be patient and urgent. You really want it, but you've got to be patient for it. You don't stop. You don't stop loving. You don't stop sharing. You don't stop doing all those things, but you have to be patient for God to work in their lives. Because I don't know how often I would, to my friends in high school, witness and witness and tell them about Jesus and do all these things, and they just wouldn't get it. But now as adults... I have, to, I have to fight with jealousy because I watched them now growing into that faith. And I think, man, why couldn't you have gotten it back then? And it's hard. But God calls them in their timing. God calls them in the time that He has for them. You may be in a different spot there. You may be planting the seed. You may be watering. You may be the person who comes along and says, do you remember this? Do you remember that story? And it just triggers something in their mind. We don't know because God calls people in the time He calls them. In this parable, He went out in the morning and He hired some. And then He went back three hours later and hired some more. And then He went back three hours later and three hours later and hired some more. And then He went back down and hired. They were all coming to work in His vineyard. They were all going to be a part. He called them at different times. He could have. I don't know why He didn't walk out there that morning and say, Hey, all of y'all, come on out and work. He didn't do that though. He started and He hired some. And then he hired some more. And then he hired some more. And that's how salvation works. He brings each individual in the timing that he calls them. But the key is, this is the hardest part of this entire parable. The reward for following Jesus is the same for all. It's the same. It's not fair. It's absolutely not fair. Because it doesn't matter if you were saved longer. It doesn't mean you're going to get more. That was the teaching of the Pharisees. 
And if we're not careful, it becomes our teaching today. Well, I know Jesus. I carry the law of the prophets. I know all of these things. You know, that's, that's how we can become. But that's not what the Bible tells us. I don't think the thief on the cross was an accident. He had to be there. Because guess what? He got the same reward as Peter did. He got the same reward as Paul did. He died on that cross. Right next to Jesus. Remember me when you come into your glory. And he got the same reward. He followed Jesus for how long? A couple of hours? Paul gave up a whole bunch and followed Jesus, but he got the same reward as the thief on the cross. I know what you're going, but what about laying up treasures? What about receiving the crown? What about stars in my crown? Yes, there are rewards. But let's remember what Revelation chapter 4 says. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne, worship the one who lives forever, and cast their crowns before the throne. Yes, there are rewards. Yes, there are crowns. But they are meaningless because it was not us who earned them, but Christ living in us. It doesn't matter. The reward for following Jesus is the same. When we get to heaven, even when we get there, our righteousness is still going to be as filthy rights compared to the encompassing righteousness of the Lamb. That's it. It doesn't matter. The reward is, is the same. If we tell somebody there's more, we're just lying. The reward is the same. Following Jesus gives you a relationship with Jesus and an eternity with Jesus. Yes, oh, you're going to have crowns and rewards, but guess what? You're going to throw them back at his feet. Why? Because they're not going to mean much because you get to be with Jesus. And we have to learn to not be jealous over God's graciousness. What is it to us how and who God chooses to show His grace? God wants to show His grace to everybody. He wants to love everybody. Somewhere along the way, churches began to seek out certain people rather than all. And it's, that's, that's not a new thing. You go back to the book of James, he talks about the same thing. When the rich person comes in, I usher them to the front and I give them the best seat. They get to sit here and whoo, they get to see everything. But the poor person, you're in my seat. Sit over here at my feet. Even back then, that was, that was an issue. God wants to bring His grace to everybody. And guess what? They may look different than us. They may look completely wildly different than us. And they may make us uncomfortable.
stuff. I have, there is a ministry in uh, Rockwall, Faith, Texas. It is called the Christian Wrestling Federation. They put on professional wrestling shows that end with the testimony. And I remember watching one of those shows. I was at Power Packing. They came in that week. That was our revival week. And they set the ring up outside the girls' dorm. And I remember watching these, these jobs. Who we had a hard time getting to chapel. Who we had a hard time reaching. Who were on their knees crying at the end of this wrestling because it had spoken to them in a way that chapel didn't. <laughs> Are we willing to be uncomfortable to glorify God? <clears throat> Are we willing to talk to the people that we usually cross the road when they pass? because we don't want to be on that same side of the road. Those rough looking people. Because that's what God wants. God wants us to look at people how He sees people. And we can't grumble about God's economy. But it's, it's not fair that, that I've done what I'm supposed to do and, and <coughs> people flock to them. I'm sorry. Maybe God has a use for that. Maybe God has something bigger. Salvation isn't fair. It's not. That's both good news and for our wounded selfish selves, it's also the bad news. Salvation is not fair. Guess what that means? I get to go. <laughs> Salvation is not fair. I can't earn it. I can't do anything to make myself lose it. Because once God gives me salvation, I am saved. I mean, it's, it's not fair. That's the good news. But for our wounded selfish selves, it's also the bad news. Because that means... That God doing the things that we don't think He should be doing can also be saved. Where He's at. It means that people that we think shouldn't have that opportunity can be saved. And, and, and I know most of us go, well, there's nobody that I think shouldn't have an opportunity. But you know what? There are people that we struggle with. How many of us actively prayed for the salvation of Osama bin Laden? God wanted him saved. That hurts. My wounded, selfish, patriotic pride, that hurts. But that's what God wanted. I almost got fired that Sunday. Because that's what we did. We prayed for his salvation. 
And they looked at me and they said, why would you do that? I said, because that's what God would do. For our wounded, selfish selves, we look at people and we go, I, I, just, I just can't see how they can be saved, how God can forgive that. I don't know, the same way He forgave the things that you did. The same way He said, okay, you can come in. I still say, I know what the Bible says, and I preach what the Bible says, but I would love to get there and for God to say, you know what, everybody gets to come in. I would love it. How great of a God is that? I know. And it, and it hurts. And even saying that, I can see some of y'all shifting in your seats. You know, so. He's going to be preaching heresy. No, I'm not. I know what the Bible says. But I know, I know how it makes me feel when people come to know Jesus. And not just people that look like me and act like me, but people who've never been around me. If salvation was fair, we we're all doomed. If salvation was fair, none of us are getting there. Because we can't, we can't work that way. We can't live that way. But salvation isn't fair. And we can't be jealous over God's graciousness to give somebody grace. Because there's always someone worse than me, and there's always someone better than me. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you. We praise you for your blessings. 